You are listening to Rhodey Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online. Hello, I'm Amy Rosa, Library Manager at the Washington Park Library, which is part of the Providence Community Library. What we have for you today is the kickoff event of PCL Reads, a new citywide, one book, one community, monthly event that was launched by myself and Lee Smith, the adult services librarian at the Mount Pleasant Library. This event took place back in May 2020 during the pandemic to keep our community connected. We were thrilled to welcome the author Julia Alvarez as a special guest at this kickoff event. Julia Alvarez left the Dominican Republic for the United States in 1960 at the age of 10. She's the author of many novels and nonfiction books for all ages from youth to adult. She has taught and mentored writers in schools and communities across America and until her retirement in 2016 was a writer in residence at Middlebury College. Her work has garnered wide recognition and without further ado I present to you Julia Alvarez. Those of you that um, have your pictures, um, uh, maybe got out of your pajama. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> it's um, wonderful to be here. I recently, uh, to the, the Providence is one of the major hubs for Dominicans in the States. So gracias mi gente for welcoming me to your hometown away from home. As for Afterlife, I was supposed to be on a month-long book tour across the United States. And as we all know, the pandemic put an end to that. But um, Michael McKenzie, uh, my publicist at Algonquin Publishers, along with my agent, Stuart, quickly turned this around and set up a digital book tour, busier than ever, without leaving home. <laughs> um, Afterlife really seems very much a novel for this moment because in a, in a nutshell, it's about what we do when our world falls apart. How do we survive the worst that can happen to us with humor, with generosity, with love and with hope? The novel tells the story of Antonia Vega, a Dominican American woman who is recently retired from teaching, planning for her new carefree life with her husband when suddenly that future is over before it ever starts. She finds herself widowed and desperately trying to survive her losses through very careful self-management, but she's pulled back into the fray by the appearance of an undocumented migrant girl in her garage and by the disappearance of her sister, a wild and big-hearted personality who might be bipolar. In responding to these crises, Antonia seeks direction in the literature she has taught, loved, written, but she finds that sometimes life demands more of her than just words. So that's, I, I wrote a little summary so that um, I didn't take up too much time describing the novel. And um, I guess one of the things I do want to say is that it sounds kind of grim and um, I want to promise you, it isn't a spoiler alert, that there's a lot of hilarity and laughter and I hope big heartedness in the book. 
I sometimes describe it as a contemporary book of Job, but instead of a venerable patriarch at the center, it's a Latina woman and her three wild, crazy sisters. So there's gotta be some humor in there. So what I thought I'd do is just read the very beginning of the book, because then I don't have to explain who everyone is. <clears throat> the way that you would enter the book, the first prologue is called Broken English. And all you need to know is that um, it's Antonia's point of view. And um, her husband's name, Sam. I don't even think the name comes up in this, in this little brief section. Broken English. <clears throat> she is to meet him a place they often choose for special occasions, to celebrate her retirement from the college, a favorite restaurant, and the new life awaiting her. A half hour drive from their home, a mountain town, 20 if she speeds in the 30 mile zone. Tonight it makes more sense, a midway point, to arrive separately, as she will be driving down from her doctor's appointment. She gets there first, as he will be driving from home. He should have been there before her. She starts calling his cell. After waiting 10, 20 minutes, he doesn't answer. Irritation turns to worry. No surprise there. He always leaves it behind in his work jeans pocket. The hospital, 911, the police. Have you seen him? Or turns off the sound at the movies and then forgets to turn it back on. Can you please help me find him? Even now, months later, about six feet, thinning hair, a boy's blue eyes, when she knows good and well, dusk deepening, how he had been driving up the mountain. He feels a stab of pain, already thinking of what he might order, coming from his left side, radiating out, wondering about her state of mind. The special, a bit is special. If she would be excited or terrified, or his default favorite, salmon with lemon dill sauce, like a sword piercing his left side. Substituting mashed potatoes for the fries, they're very good about substitutions. Though how would he know what it feels like to have a sword piercing his left side? Because of his medical training, understanding what is happening, not wanting to cause more harm, pronounced dead on arrival. He forgets to charge it and turns it back and it runs out of juice. Even now, three months shy of a year later, pulling his car off the road, rolling gently to a stop, which he knows exactly what happened, a ditch that might as well be his grave, discovered by a passing cyclist, rushed to the ER while he was late, a ruptured aortic aneurysm, as he is to be cremated and therefore have no grave per se. Neither he nor she could have foreseen. Even now, a boy's blue eyes and cannot comprehend how someone she loved. She keeps running and rerunning that night in her head. Can you please help me find him? Can be nothing but dust, unread emails, fragments, unpaid bills, memories, broken glass, dented bumper, a new life awaiting her. Both terrified and excited. How can it be? Can you help me find him? Tall with thinning hair, a new life awaiting her. Can you help me find him? A mystery she cannot by any means solve. Nevertheless, she keeps asking, where are you? 
as this is the only way she knows, can you help me find him, how to create an afterlife for him? So that's the opening of the novel. It's in a very different style from the rest of the novel. It is broken English. <laughs> the fragments of a terrifying night in her life. So <clears throat> I don't know if you have some questions already or. Yeah, I think we did. Lee, do you want to start um, calling on people? Sure. Ajaya says, um, I'd love to hear more about the choices Ms. Alvarez made around conveying dialogue in the novel. I noticed there were no quotation used in the text. Well, you know, I, one of the ways that I describe the text is that very much reflecting this, the place Antonia is in when we are introduced into her life. Um, it's a very stripped down world. It's very interior in some ways. She's constantly um, reflecting and in a, in a sense, talking her way forward as she is at sea as to how to proceed. So I, I wanted the, the prose to reflect that kind of interiority and that kind of um, stripping down. Um, as you might have noticed, you know, I tend to write bulkier novels with lots of characters and side plots and, you know, I'm, I am from the tropics where things proliferate and grow and blossom and familias are huge and multiple points of view. Well, this is a very different novel in that it's, it's, it's very short, very stripped down and very much in that, what I call the Japanese sensibility of stripping things away so that what's, what remains is really charged, kind of like a haiku, uh, you know, mentality. So that was part of the decision of not, um, of not using quote marks and not making it feel like you were really in there, inside of her. And, um, and traveling with her through these pages. Multicultural um, writers um, who have embraced their hybridity, um, they have just done away with that. And English has always been a language full of imports, full of imports. And after a while that they lounge inside English, they're adopted into the language. So look up in your dictionary, there's fiesta ketchup that came from india you know uh that word so you you know language is this is what makes it alive it just grows and absorbs and you know and there's words that after a while become out of use and become quaint uh and we don't you know uh we think many maybe young per person wouldn't even use it so i think that's something that are that the that the writing, you know, my writing has ha has grown, and I'm and I learn from from everybody. There is no uh, what I love about writing is that and writing books is that people think you write because you know things, but you write because you're curious. You want to find things out. You you want to learn things, and part of it is learning about the craft by being a reader. You know, I. Yeah, I always say my reading isn't going well, my writing isn't going well. 
So um, I, you know, my teachers many times are the books that I'm, that I've read and, and I'm reading. Our next question comes from Amy. She says, will we see more of Antonia? I'd love to follow her through other passages in her life. And I always feel like I can't talk about what I'm working on, not because of a secretiveness, uh, but more that um, I really, you know, I have some ideas, but in the end, you, I, it, it's, you move and discover as you write. You know, writing is a way of finding things out. Uh, something that I often would tell my writing students that felt like, oh, I, I you know, I, I can't be a real writer because I don't really know, uh, you know, what the story is, or I don't really know what to write about. I said, write, write what comes. And the writing itself, the characters will take you places. And that's part of the pleasure of writing, that it's a discovery for the writer. You know, um, Frost, Robert Frost, the poet, and this is his landscape here in Vermont, uh, said, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. You know, that somehow the energy of discovery gets in the writing. So part of it is that if I start talking about it, it starts to narrow it down already. And... I, you know, I don't have that free play of the imagination, but um, I do want, you know, I, I no longer feel like I have lots of time in the world to go in a dozen places. Um, so, you know, I've gotten kind of like cranky about my time because I feel like there's only so many years left to me, you know, and, um, and so I ask myself as I sit down to, write or contemplate what is the best use of my time what are the stories that i must tell before i go you know what are the stories that i i would feel like i i was taking them with me and when i am gone i want that if you were to squeeze me there wouldn't be a drop of story left in me <laughs> so i'm <clears throat> i i feel that pressure of, I guess, um, trying to discover what those stories are. And, you know, sometimes I go down a wrong alley and I have to acknowledge that it didn't go somewhere, but I never think of it. I mean, at the moment I'm crushed when something doesn't turn out into a book, but I tell myself that uh, that blind alley taught me certain things that I've needed to write the book that finally does get done. You know, the way that our mommies and abuelitas and tias would tell us, dust yourself up. Your mistakes are things that you can learn from, you know? And I think that's true in writing, that it's not wasted. Because what you were learning, trying to figure it out, uh, writing it and rewriting it, that's, you're, you're developing your muscles as a writer, you know, your, your agility. And that can't be a bad thing. We have a question from Cynthia. She says, I would like to know what part of the book you enjoyed writing the most and why? And if any, what part was the most difficult to write and why? Afterwards, you have that baby in your hand 
and all that trouble fades away, mostly. <laughs> so I think that now, you know, it's funny because I know that certain days were harder than others. Going back and like I said, a, a novel always wants one more draft than you want to give it. And then when you think you've given it every draft and plus, giving it every draft and la ñapa besides, then your editor comes along or your editors and say, ah, this scene. <laughs> and you, at first you just think, no, I can't do it. But if you love the work more than um, you're trying to protect yourself and you're, and be lazy as a writer, you go back and give it that extra mile. So, um, so I know there were some tougher days than others, but in a sense, they do fade away. And what's amazing to me, as I read certain portions or go back over it, I can't tell you which were the pages that were the hard ones. And I hope my reader can't either. You know, because I think that, that you work and you work and you labor and you labor. And, you know, there, there were a lot, of, a lot of things that I learned from my mommy and my tias and my abuelitas, um, even though they were older generation. And when I was a young woman, I, I wanted to be free from all the hardworking labors and, you know, I didn't want to be like them. I wanted to be a professional. I wanted to be a writer. But, you know, I always remember that part of the thing in learning to, in, the, in housekeeping, like when you polished a table, was not to leave your fingerprints on there. You made it beautiful. You disappeared into the thing you loved. And that's true, too, with your children. You know, you don't hover and control them. You put in them all you have, <laughs> and then you launch them into the world, and it should be them, not you. So I think that's the thing that I really, you know, I can say that writing is hard work. Anybody who tells you that it was a breeze, I, I well, maybe there's writers like that, but it, this writer ain't one of them. It's hard work, but it's like... <clears throat> the pleasure of doing something you feel called to do or you love. There's this wonderful quote by the poet Rumi, and he's, um, it's a quote that I have above my writing desk. And he's a, a 13th century uh, Sufi poet. And he said, let, let the beauty you love be what you do. And I tell my, you know, when my students would ask for advice about what you know what they should do where they should go in the world i would say i don't know specifically what to tell you but let the beauty you love be what you do number one if you follow what you love you're going to be happy doing it right and number two if you're doing something you love you're putting more love into the world and to me that's the biggest and the deepest activism to imbue the world with what you love and love to do. So uh, I do love to do it, but it's hard work. And some days I think, you know, oh, you know, if I could do something else, I, I know myself by now better. I would feel, without writing, I would feel lost. You know, uh, I would feel like I wasn't 
putting my bucket down into the deepest well in me. And, um, and I think that's what we're here to do. And then pull it up full of its waters and sometimes without many waters in it when we're feeling depleted. And that's okay. We go through our seasons. Pull it up and then divvy it out. It's not for us to keep. It's for us to give it, pass it on. So anyhow, that's a very long answer. <laughs> but it's, it's true to what it was really like writing this book and any book. Our last question comes from Jane. She says, I was intrigued with how the memory of what her late husband would have done encouraged Antonia to be more altruistic. Can you share more about that? Huge extended familia. I know that six sisters is a lot, Doris, but um, my father was the youngest of 25. The first wife had 10, and then she died, and he married again a much younger woman and had 15 and Papi was the youngest of the 15. So I had all these tios and tias uh, much older than myself, but there's so many wonderful qualities. And uh, sometimes when I need a little bit more patience, I think of my Tia Teolinda and I think, oh, okay, Tia Teolinda, here we go. <laughs> you know, when I need a boost of gumption, I think of, you know, my Tio Petrucho and how, he, you know, he just was really out, you know, so I feel like in our cultures, we're always a we, you know, um, as well as an I. And I carry all these people with me. And Sam is very much a part of, was a part of, of how Antonia moved through her life. And, you know, she let him balance her out in a way. Um, and there were some beautiful qualities in him, which she didn't feel she had. And she had him to pull her kicking and screaming to that bigger angel of her nature. And so now he's gone. So one of the afterlives she can give him is by letting that quality that she so loved in him be part of the way she continues to keep him alive in her world. I also think while we're talking about the title, then we, you know, within a life, within our life, we have many little deaths, many little deaths along the way before the final one. But even if we suffer them and feel like this is it, I, I'm not going to recuperate from this. If we stay with ourselves, if we are resilient and hopeful, if we have a community around us, if we have, um, you know, we keep open, even as we, even as it therefore lets more suffering in, in some ways, that there is a life after the little deaths we suffer. There, there are afterlives within our life. So um, I think that part of what, you know, the solace um, in loss, and certainly one that Antonia discovers, is to keep these big-hearted um, presences alive in the way she lives her life going forward to give them to give them that afterlife uh, and therefore yeah that title afterlife and Sam is definitely uh, one of her one of her inside selves now Thank you all for this wonderful evening and hope I get to visit 
Providence. I hear that, it, like I said, I hear it's a huge Dominican hub that even politicians running for office in the DR go up to the comunidad to campaign. <laughs> so if the politicians can do it, if the baseball players can do it, your authors um, should be able to do it, right? <laughs> Very true. So until we meet again, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Amy and Lee. And thank you for being here. This is so inspiring. Thank you. Take care. Adios. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Julia Alvarez for meeting with us today. Be sure to check out the Providence Community Library website for future PCL Reads events. Go to provcomlib.org to find these events. Once a month, we host a virtual discussion and or an author event. Join us. We would love to see you virtually, of course. Roadie Radio is a project of the Office of Library and Information Services and is supported by a grant from the Rhode Island Council for the Humanities. Until next time, everyone.